0: Episode 111 of the Drive-By Podcast is sponsored by Own Space.
1: This is the Drive-By with Freeway
0: Frank. All right, so usually I start the podcast by saying whoever the person is on my show, is at my house. But now, Sal Perisuko is not at my house because I have a brand new studio in downtown Montreal. And Sal is here. Mr. Perisuko, denim god, icon, how are you?
1: Well, I wouldn't say god, that's a big word. Yes. Denim legend. Legend. That's what they call me. They actually labeled you that. Denim that's, legend. Who's they, by the way? I guess the industry in general, because of uh, all the innovations we've done in our past, uh, since 1972. You know, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but... I'm aware, I think.
0: (laughs) Very aware of uh, that.
1: I I started working in the store when I was uh, 14 years old. I uh, snuck my way into getting a job. And even though the guy didn't want to hire me, I says, I'm here. Just let me work. If you like me... You tell me I, you like me. If you don't like me, you don't have to pay me. And I got the big job of washing the floors and washing the store. Where was this? You know where uh, Place des Jardins is now? Before Place des Jardins, okay. it used to be uh, like two level buildings. Ground floor was retail. Yep. And uh, second floor was uh, apartments. Mm-hmm. Not apartments, but single dwellings. Uh, in front of Place des Arts. And we're talking about 1968. I got my first job there. Yeah,
0: see, so now we could talk, since you mentioned a year. Sal, you just had a big birthday, and I wish you the best. Bon compleanno. You just turned, this is freaking incredible. This man just turned 70 years old, and you look like I swear <laughs> to God, if I didn't know you personally, because we've, we've hung out together, we've even had yeah. moments together in Italy, which I'm sure will come up later. But you look fantastic. What is the secret? First, before we start talking about you know your career where you started because I have a lot of questions about that um, how do you stay so young what's what's I guess doing what you do
1: I need stress yeah you need a little stress <laughs> if I don't have stress you know it doesn't burn calories yeah I guess that's what, that's what it is that's why I'm turning great yeah and uh, you know I have a great family life I have a great wife we've been together we know each other we're married 33 years almost 33 years but Rosie we, yeah Rosie Beautiful. but we're together since, I guess, 1973, and uh, we're very careful about our health, what we eat. I mean, how many guys you see coming out of a Ferrari with a bag and a knife, picking chicory? That is, the. <laughs> is that you? <laughs> That's me. That's if definitely. You ever see, wait, if wait. you ever see a guy <laughs> coming out of Ferrari in the middle of a highway somewhere. <laughs> that is funny because I see, you know, the, I, I don't want to say it now, but it's usually
0: old Italian men. Yeah. You're not an old Italian man. By I am case. old. I'm well, 70. Okay, you're 70, <laughs> but you do not look like an old... I, I didn't think Sal Peresucco was cutting Chigori off the side of the mat.
1: I tell Robert you, when, we, when I was a kid, because <laughs> we were a big family, six kids, and uh, we kind of su- supplemented our, uh, our budget between April 15 to June 15, when Chikoria season was in, eating Chikoria. And I hated it because that's what we ate a lot yeah. of. And today I would pay anybody to uh, give it to me, right. to, to uh, prepare expensive it for me. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, well, do, it, if you don't wild, do it on your own. <laughs> the, the 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 one you buy in the grocery in the supermarket is not the same. Not the same at know. all.
0: Let's explain it for the, uh, the Inglesi, the English people who don't quite know what chicoria is. It's, wheat. it's weeds. It's literally wheat. Yeah. But Dan, who eats weeds? Dandelion we do. weeds. Yeah, dandelion.
1: Not only Italians, even Asians, because right. a lot of people make teas. Yes. And, and you know, it's uh, something that cleans your body. It really does. It cleans your People talk about liver, but you get your spleen, is just as important. And you know, it, uh, why you gotta go to a grocery store and get medical medication that's chemicals to do a body cleanse Yeah, when it's- Back in your backyard. In your backyard. Off the highway. And uh, these uh, chemical companies are killing, uh, giving us weed killer to kill it. Instead, people should be teaching, educating people that you eat it. At a certain point Yeah And if you, you boil it too it's That's what that, I that, do That's what you're
0: saying uh, Yeah
1: that Asian cultures do that And Sal does it as well And you make the teas Because yeah. even uh, I cook mine The way you uh Cook uh, vegetables mm-hmm. And uh, the broth Becomes my tea Yeah I'm thinking with
0: all the, the landscapers where you live in Westmount, you don't see too many chigaria growing anywhere. So I would imagine when you do pull over, it's nowhere. And no, you, you're you
1: wrong. You see right now because yeah. now's the season.
0: Oh, this is the season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before they start putting that treatment on their grass.
1: Just make sure, like Frank Sinatra's, uh, not Frank Sinatra, Frank Zappa, <laughs> yeah. make sure you don't go where the doggies go.
0: Exactly. Or else you'll be uh, having an extra treat. In but it your, ta- it's, in a, lot it's a, lot it a lot of work. It's a lot of cleaning. It is Yeah, absolutely.
1: But it's all worthwhile.
0: Sal, you came through where I am here in uh, downtown Montreal. We're at the, uh, pretty much, very close to Westmount. Did you ever think, as a kid growing up, where did you grow up, first of all? What part of Montreal?
1: I grew up in uh, Hochelaga-Mercier, which is uh, near Frontenac, Ontario. And uh, there was hardly any Italians there. So when I arrived here in 57, I was almost four years old. My second language was really French. And when I enrolled, when it was time for school, when we went to enroll in school, we got refused in French school, and I had to go to English school, and it took me two years to learn English. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) We're still learning it (laughs) now.
1: But, Meaning it's, me but, <laughs> but it's the it's the best thing that happened because yes. we ended up keeping our maternal language because our parents didn't speak english or french they spoke italian exactly. in my case sicilian and we learned two languages and we learned uh, so we became fluent in three it's an amazing story your story sal because
0: you know where you grew up and you you came here as immigrants you were born in sicily obviously a natural question that came to mind right away did you ever think you weren't motivated by where you thought you were going to live one day, what you were going to drive. I'm sure your success derived by the fact of wanting to be the best at what you do.
1: Figuring out what I want to do. Yeah. Or don't. Which
0: we're going to get into. But You know, you pulled up here 10 minutes ago in your gorgeous Ferrari. You came from Westmount. Still live there, right? Yes. Am I not supposed to mention that? Don't go bother Sal, <laughs> by the way. He doesn't need any more groupies. He's had enough in his, uh, in his life. And he's married. 33 years. 33 years. It's a hell of a story. You come over from Sicily with your family, you're four years old, like you said. Your mom was also making clothes, I think. I read somewhere that a long time ago that she was, she started by making clothes for the family.
1: Yeah, she did because uh, out of necessity, because we couldn't afford to buy clothes, clothes. you know, but that's her generation, everybody knew how to make clothes, knit. I used to help my mother unravel sweaters and she would use the yarn to make a new sweater. So. We'll talk about sustainability, talk yeah. about environmentally friendly. That we, was the, You were the original environment. We were there already, you know, <laughs> out of necessity.
0: You see your mom doing this. You said you were 14 when you started cleaning floors and doing that. When did you first get the fashion bug? I've never seen you not look great. You're very conscious of... I mean, you don't seem like a guy who spends, you know, 30 hours... Fixing everything, but it just looks good and natural on you. When did you realize fashion was going to be this important facet of your life? When did you think, "Well, oh, this the, is what I want to do"? One How did of the it start?
1: one of the interesting things I'm going to jump forward a bit yeah. is uh, one of the interesting things I'm told by the people we work with, uh, the retailers we sell to, is say uh, you're uh, you're one of the only guys who wears his own brand. <laughs> Smart, and it's true. Yeah, you know, because uh, I basically. I'm proud to wear my own brand, but also because I take it for a test drive before somebody else gets, you know, before I start selling it to somebody else. Which makes sense. But the bug was uh, when I was in uh, school, and you know, when you're a kid and people ask you, what do you want to be, it it was a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor because I heard doctors make money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did a little better. and then uh i got the the beatles came out we amazing. got into music teenagers Elvis presley we used to go to the where was a rosebound theater there and watch three elvis presley movies on a saturday for 50 cents amazing you gotta look cool so we couldn't afford clothes but my mother knew how to uh, sew my mother and we even had a neighbor another italian lady uh that uh, knew how to make the patterns and stuff so i started to go and uh figure out buy fabrics and uh get clothes made for myself and uh, I was the best dressed kid in the school you know
0: no doubt about <laughs> it. it still are today
1: and uh, that's that's where I think you know as you become a teenager and uh, puberty and girls and this and that uh, and I don't like chasing <laughs> I like to be chased ah. <laughs> most <laughs> of know? the guys
0: do the chasing so you like like the, to be like
1: the flowers don't yeah. chase the bees it's yeah exactly the, so wait you're telling me that Rosie chased you
0: before <laughs> You guys yeah for sure yeah got, well, yeah,
1: yeah. For sure man I'm gonna have to have her on and ask her yeah. the same question <laughs> we knew each other for over a year and a half we didn't like each other really yeah couldn't stand her yeah. she couldn't stand me even more <laughs> why is that <laughs> yeah
0: were you were tough were you tough did you find what well, because
1: she worked for me you know
0: she, oh she did work for you yeah
1: she came to our go. Go. store and uh, ended up getting a weekend job I didn't tell her uh, why I gave her the job there was a, <laughs> there was a bus strike <laughs> and she had a car yeah we're talking about 1973 okay. she had a car and i had to figure out a way to transport my stuff so she used to drive them in and drive them all.
0: so she was the driver
1: <laughs> unbelievable story so then i got this job in the store and i was 14 and uh while i was mopping i was looking around and i says hey i could get into this there's a future in this i saw a future in fashion Not necessarily as uh, opening my own brand or whatever, but uh, it ended up by 1972, I opened my first store. I was 19. The first day we were open, actually, nobody wanted to uh, sign a lease with me because I was 19, but I looked like I was 12. So (laughs) I asked my boss who I was working with, I says, look, I got an idea. I want to open a store, which was in St. Catherine near Papino. And I said, "Uh, I want you to be my partner. I says, all you got to do is sign the lease, take care of the paperwork, I'll do the rest. Because in my head, I said, I'd rather have 50% of something than 100% of nothing. Then the first day we're open and all excited, whatever. What's next? How do you attract the people? How do you attract the the buyers? So in those days, we were taught to be hookers. Hooker means somebody's looking at the window, you go hook them right away. Start talking to them and pull them in. Wow. (laughs) Times have changed. And uh, then I I knew right away, I says, I got to give the people a reason to come to my store. And uh, that's how my mind works, you know, because... People don't need me, they don't need you, unless you do something special. Yeah, And that's how I'm always working, even today. I'm always thinking about doing something new. So what happened is, uh, we opened, it was October 72, and the weather was still good. And I had these uh, jeans, UFO. I was buying Lee jeans, going to New York, Canal Street, bringing Lee jeans, because Lee jeans was popular, and they wouldn't sell to me, I was a new kid on the block. So, I was buying from a jobber on Canal Street and driving them back to Montreal, but I'd only make like a buck, two bucks a pair. And then I got lucky with a company called UFO, a brand that I was wearing, uh, that we used to sell in the store where I worked. They gave me credit. So, I brought those jeans in. And in those days, people wanted jeans that washed down to light blue. Okay. And those days, was uh, the indigo was made from a root, from a plant. And uh, it, it, it was scarce. So only the big brands would have like Lee Levi's Wrangler. They would have the real blue that washes down to uh, lighter blue. So the guys who were selling blue jeans that were chemically chemical indigo, after you wash them, they turn purple. <laughs> so I had these UFOs and the UFOs, they gave me credit. I started having jeans in my store. But then they washed down, because there was the uh, original indigo dye. But people weren't uh, buying them, they didn't uh, believe it, you know? They believed that the Lee and the Wrangler were okay. But there I was not making any money. Mm -hmm. So I got this idea, because I was also doing the windows, because we couldn't afford the window guys. So you were doing the
0: displays, you mean?
1: Yeah, I was doing the displays. I built the store, everything for, we built the store for 500 bucks. Unbelievable. Two thousand two hundred feet. So then uh I took my old jeans, I was doing a window, I says, you know what, I'm gonna put my old jeans and the new jeans, the UFOs, so people can see before and after. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened is uh, customers were coming in, hey why je jeans and So I showed them the UFO, no no, Lizot, the Livieu. I said, Yeah, but You know, it's to show you that uh, after you wash them, they become like that. He says, yeah, but I want them like that right away. I said, sorry, can't. Then one guy, two guys, three guys. So then I started thinking, gotta get, let me see if I can get these jeans washed. I started to call laundries. Didn't exist. Didn't exist, nobody wanted to wash it. (laughs) So then uh, we had a day, which was very frustrating. We had uh, hardly any, uh, the sales were poor. And I get, the last customer I get that day is the uh, same thing. The guy wants the jeans in the window, the washed ones. So because it was a bad day, I guess it gave me a push, I said, hey, uh, okay, listen, I can get you them washed for, you. Ha- I can get you a pair tomorrow, it's going to cost you $2 more. Okay, but problem, in those days people used to leave you deposits. Right. Credit like cards. a lay- layaway type thing. Yeah, layaway. And yeah. There was no credit cards yet. Yeah. So I get home, I wash them. Bring him in the next morning. It was a Friday morning, I remember. First customer comes in, wants the jeans in the window. What size? The same size the guy from the night before. So I sold him the jeans. How much were the jeans? They were twelve ninety nine. dollars With him, I got four, two bucks more because they're washed, Fourteen ninety nine. And then the guy at lunchtime came, the guy who gave the deposit. As I say, they're not ready. They're going to be ready tomorrow. I'll give you a discount, so come back. <laughs> So that night, I took home 12 pairs and took a chance, washed them all, brought them in Saturday morning, and they blew out. Amazing. Next thing you know, we're washing 200 jeans a week <laughs> in the house. <laughs> and we were, my parents, uh, we were on welfare that time. Incredible. We were, I was on welfare, man. We were getting $42 a month.
0: <laughs> Imagine that. And then With you, a
1: family of six, so did, a family of eight, six kids. So did you naturally start being the earner? Yeah home, yeah yeah cuz at age 15 I was selling jeans out of my locker in school.
0: <laughs> Think about what people and kids nowadays and the kids since you being in high school have sold out of their locker. You were an innovator back then, you were selling jeans. It's it's just an incredible well, story. Well, I
1: went to my teacher, I asked permission, can I sell jeans out of my locker? I need to make money for to help my family. He says, uh, well, I don't know, we got to talk to the principal. So, <laughs> talk to the principal and I could see that uh, the principal was not really for it and I says, hey listen is the same question came out why are you selling jeans I says you know my father was in the war my father's this that he stopped working basically when I was 10 so I'm helping support the family <laughs> I think I was in grade 9 and uh, I work in a store and I get these jeans from them like uh, you know and I uh, I think I can make some money by selling them to my uh, schoolmates. Yeah, and you did. So they said, well, we don't know. I says, Mr. Riley, that was his name. I says, listen, Mr. Riley, either I sell jeans or I sell drugs. You make the decision. <laughs> Fantastic. I says, I sell jeans or I sell drugs like some of the other guys. I says, you make the decision for my future. Yeah. So he said, okay, you got it, but we're going to watch you to make sure everything's kosher. No problem. Yeah. So I started selling jeans out of my locker, and uh, some weeks I was selling $80 worth, which was more than a teacher's salary.
0: Unreal. It's just crazy. It's, it's an unbelievable story. So Well, it's also about survival. It's about survival, and you were the original negotiator. You know? You're making deals right away. It's like you learned that because of maybe, like you said, this for sure, the situation that your family was in. And you wanted to help, and you didn't want to be on welfare. So that's that was the eventual next step. If I don't do it, this is not going to end yeah, well yeah. for a family
1: of eight. I learned a nice uh, proverb in my life. In life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Yeah. That's a good thing. So never give up. Negotiate. No. you got to find ways. No
0: matter what. Now, I'll be honest. You're inspiring because you know starting this... Brand new podcast fifteen months ago. Now taking it to this new, new studio. Everything you've said, the stories, and what you just said, is applicable. And anybody yeah. watching starting a business is exactly that. You know, I mean, you don't get anywhere without trying, without negotiating, without trying to get it to the next level. So, Santana jeans. That's how you. So that's what you. You went from UFO.
1: Well, UFO was a brand we were selling in our selling store. Selling in the
0: store. Then you started Santana?
1: And another thing people don't know, my store was on St. Catherine uh, near Papino. Okay. And uh, next street was Champlain, and the Champlain Maisonneuve was Telemetropole. Okay. The mem- TV station. You remember American Bandstand? Yes, of course. They had the French version. They had the had French version, the of... French version yeah. uh, which was Jeunesse d'aujourd'hui. So I was starting to dress those artists. Amazing. So one time the winter was like really freaking uh, no customers at all, you know, <laughs> and down three dollars away, there was a, cause a lot of people in those days used to sew at home, knit. So yeah. there was a store that was selling uh, sequins and uh, beads and uh, fabric and this and that. So I was, I was bored. I went to take a look what's going on talk to the guy and he says, you know what, give me uh, some of this, let me buy some of this stuff. And I took one of my jean jackets in the store, well, because I hated when there's nothing to do. I, I was taught to always do something. So I took one of my jean jackets that used to sell like for uh, 14 bucks, a Lee jean. And I started to dress it up with the sequins and the uh, paillettes and uh, studs. Yeah. <laughs> and I hung it up in the window. And one of the, uh, the celebrities there from Telemetropole walked by, came in, and I got 35 bucks for it. Incredible. It was a score. Next thing you know, I took 10 jackets at home and had all, <laughs> all the kids, my brothers and sisters, watching TV, putting beads and studs and stuff. That's an amazing story. And uh, we could have been the first people to embellish denim. Yeah. We're talking about 1972, 73.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah, you were bedazzling denim before bedazzled. <laughs> You're, exactly. You were way ahead of, you were the originator.
1: I mean, we didn't have Google that time, so well, I didn't know what was going on
0: in everywhere else. Sal, that's the crazy thing is you look at today and, uh, you know, brands that, that sell today and what they have, you know, from Instagram. And I know you guys are on Instagram too because you have to change with the times and everything. But it's incredible what you created with literally nothing. I mean, your display was social media on the street. Yeah. So it happened to be St. Catherine, but still, I mean, it, that was your social media page. And nowadays, I mean, th- the game has changed completely.
1: But going back to the washing jeans, you know, my, my parents used to stand guard because we lived in a tough area. Yeah. Watching the jeans on the clothesline, you'd have up to uh, 200 jeans in a day. <laughs> and in the wintertime, we used to, we didn't have a dryer. Yeah. We used to hang them in the house and sleep under the jeans. We'd all wake up with red eyes from the bleach. But... That thing, what we did, washing jeans, inspired uh, an international industry that created, if not hundreds of thousands, millions of jobs, at least hundreds of thousands of jobs around the world. Nobody was washing jeans.
0: Yeah. is that incredible? That, that's all it took, was
1: the washing jeans. That's what it took, because uh, what would happen, uh, competitors would come to my store, and they start bullying me. Where did you get these jeans? I says, why you want to buy a pair? No, I want to know. You have to tell me where you got them. I says, why do I have to tell you? I had to be uh, courageous. You yeah, know? of course. Because you're getting scared of older people than you that are coming in with suits and whatever. I says, well, I didn't steal them, so either you buy them or get out. No. I had to get tough. Yeah. <laughs> and it was my competitors. They couldn't figure out. They How you were doing? They it. knew. Because, you know, when you're selling to uh, teenagers, uh, uh, even though there was no social media, the word gets around, gets around, in the schools, boom. Yep. And that's how we started rocking and rolling, and then it led to more and more, and guys who were working for me, my brother was working for me and other guys, and you know those guys in 1972, 73, I'm still friends with. we, we it's I, incredible. I just took a drive with a guy last week. Wow. From that time. And uh, by 75, 76, I had three stores. And uh, three of my guys, my brother and two other guys, went to uh, Italy for a vacation in the summer. And when they came back, one of the guys says, we should start our own jean company. It was his idea. Oh, wow. Santana Jean, Angelo Cordisco.
0: Okay. I remember Santana Jeans. So I
1: said, uh, yeah, okay, but uh," I says I could be a silent partner. I'm busy. I got three stores. So we became, uh, we invested each uh, five grand. We started Santana Jeans. But 10 months went by, nothing, hap- when nothing was happening. Nobody was doing anything. So I started to get involved out of frustration because there was a jean company at that time, uh, Liberty Jeans, and uh, they were making this beautiful white jean, which was a sailor jean with a lace up in the front. And they weren't delivering. They kept saying, next week, next week, and I'm losing sales. Then I, then I woke up, and I said, just, we have our own jean company. Let me make it. They're yeah. not going to deliver. I said, hey, you're not going to deliver. I'm going to knock it off. So I made 600 pieces. And we were delivering from my house, which is near, at that time, near uh, Place Versailles. And so one morning, I get a knock. I'm in the shower. My mother comes and gets me in the shower. She says, there's a guy here who wants his jeans. I says, what are you talking about? It's like 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I go to the door in a towel. <laughs> And it's Kenny Katz, the originator of the stores Le Garage, which okay, you know today. Okay, yeah, of course. And he was my first order. I said, Kenny, what's the problem? He says, I want those G- those pants now. He said, I'm going to bring them to you. Don't worry. No, no, I don't trust you. I want them now. <laughs> so there I was in a towel packing his stuff. And uh, you know the garage now, the story, how big they are and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. We started doing that, and uh, the word started to get around about Santana, and we had some original designs, and uh, kept going.
0: And then it gets to at some point, you make the decision to name it after you.
1: Yeah. Well, what happened? How did that? Well, what happened was nineteen eighty six. Okay. We were doing good business. Santana was well known in Canada, and uh, my uh, my brother and my partner. We were, then we were three partners because one guy left. Uh, I said, hey, guys, you guys are married now. You got a kid. He says, I'm feeling uneasy because I take risks, you know. And uh, I have an idea. He says, you guys take over Santana, and I'm going to start a Parasuco brand, you know. You buy me out. Whatever I'm worth, take your time to pay me whenever you want. But it didn't work out that way, and we didn't have no contracts, But indirectly, I got shotgun. We went on a year later, we went on through a year where I was doing most of the work and these guys were like uh, upset. And I had to buy them out for twice as much as I wanted, which I did, and I can't, I still scratch my head today how the bank gave me $3 million to buy these guys out. (laughs) Banks giving you no money today. Today, no. It's a
0: different world.
1: Wow, 3 million and you buy them out. And I buy them out. And then all of a sudden it hits me. Holy shit, I'm alone. (laughs) If I get sick, what am I going to do? You know, that's one thing that's important. You pray to God to stay healthy. You got to yes. stay healthy.
0: Yes. Hence, you started drinking the chicory, <laughs> Dandelion Always. Tea. Always, yeah. So... You start with three stores. How many stores did you get to? I mean, they were everywhere. Okay.
1: No, those, those days. Then, we, then I uh, gave up the stores in uh, like 78. Okay. And I focused on the manufacturing. The manufacturing.
0: But then when, how many stores did you get to though?
1: In terms of the our actual. Own, our uh, own stores.
0: Well, brick and mortar under
1: Parasuco. Oh, Selling
0: it, in, uh, in other words, uh, what's the easiest stat all over the
1: world? Like how many countries? No, we oh. didn't. Our own stores, we didn't have that many. We had uh, the maximum we had was 12 stores. Okay. But around the world, we sold over two thousand stores. Incredible, you know. And uh, but going back to that partnership, I was, we I went through like the blackest year of my life because my brother basically retired from the business. The other guy, he joined another uh, startup in denim, mm-hmm. and uh, basically took some of my people, my designers. That I, uh, my product people that I had at the time. And I also had already like uh, people working with me in Italy who used to feed me ideas, mm-hmm. whether it was fabrics or this or that. And we had this uh, X stitch, which was like a moccasin stitch on a shoe, you know, on the mm-hmm. moccasins. Yep. To do on the jeans. I had the design in my uh, files for like uh, two seasons. Then finally I put it out. And the ex partner who took away. Couple of people from our place. Those people took the designs with them. Don't don't uh, don't forget. We still didn't have computers those days, yeah. so they physically copied everything, and we came out at the same time. And that guy registered, got a registration on that side on that uh, X stitch. So that's the logo you mean, right? The yeah, it's it's an ornamental stitch oh, yeah, all right. around, yeah. Uh, you know, so I had to. Uh, he sued me, but a vindictive lawsuit, you know. Yeah. Like he wanted to destroy me. And uh, I, I wasn't so scared about it because uh, I had uh, the stuff before him. And I gave it to, I told my uh, CFO at the time to use the lawyers from uh, Levi's. And I had to go after China. <laughs> Came back. I says, what's going with the, that lawsuit? To me, I it was frivolous, you know, because I knew the law. How can you get a trademark on a state that's made by a machine? Because if you get the trademark, the guy who make, makes the machine can't sell his machine to anybody. Yeah. But somehow they got it, they got, it got passed for Canada. And my CFO says, oh, I saved us a lot of money, I got us a cheaper lawyer. That was the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> whenever you hear that cheaper lawyer we lost go. the case it was I had to take back like uh, millions of dollars worth of jeans from all the retailers and uh, it was a year of hell because you know I I owed a bank three million this, this was that which, this was 88 88 so but that led me to uh, hiring new lawyers that I have today which is Olga Renault who didn't want to take me, Shout but out. <laughs> finally they took me. Yeah. Today they're called Norton Rose, okay, and, we're, big time, yeah. and we're together ever since. Yeah. And uh, Joanne Gauthier, my lawyer, came to my office and started digging everything in my archives, everything. And she found, she says, look, you made this 10 years ago. You have prior use. She says, but uh, I can't bring it into appeal. She says, if you would have had me as a lawyer first, you would have won. I says, you know what? I said, fuck it, let them win. This is it's just a battle. Let them win. And I was watching uh, the Grammys and trying to figure out uh, how am I going to turn this around. So watching the Grammys, this, this new singer, Terence Trent Darby, comes on.
0: Wishing Well. Great song. Yes.
1: Are you a singer? Can you sing it? No. Not really. <laughs> uh, We're not going to sing it. <laughs> so I'm looking at him, and I see... He's wearing a biker jacket, uh, leather, he's wearing a white (laughs) t-shirt, he's wearing cowboy boots, and he's wearing uh, Rip Levi's. I said, fuck, this is the new uniform. I went back, and I had uh, built, uh, got some new people working with me. And I said, uh, we're going to do, forget about this X-Stitch, forget about this, that. We're going to redecorate the office. We're going to do a biker look. Leathers and stuff. I had a black door, black glass door. Uh, and I wanted to etch our logo, Parasuco, with uh, Chimera. So I was thinking, where can I get this done? Then I figured out, you know, they, they do a lot of uh, the uh, shower doors. You see them with designs etched in. Yes, them. yes. So I started shopping around. And I found this guy, Atelier Saint-Denis, and uh, Saint-Denis and Jean Talon. So I go see him. I, bring, I, I send him the, uh, the mirror. Yeah, I called him up. I says, hey, est-ce que je peux venir chez vous? No, I want to see how this is done. Yeah, I start to see. He stencils it out, blah, blah, blah. And then he sandblasts it. I says, sandblasts? Yeah, <laughs> I says, it's abrasion. So I tell the guy, hey, I'm going to the jeans. i the jeans. And the guy tells me, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do
0: For the people who don't speak French. I wanna sandblast the jeans. I don't do that, says the so worker. He
1: s- so he says to me, uh he's the owner of the place. Yeah. He says to me don't uh, do that. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible. I might rip them. I says, No problem. I, uh, it's okay. <laughs> no no no, he didn't want to do I says here comes the negotiation. Yeah, negotiating. Here, here, here part. Comes I says, Okay, how about you let me uh rent me time on your machine for a couple of hours. Show me how to do it, I'll do it myself. He says, oh, pas de problème, no problem. He says, mm-hmm. uh, look, I have nothing to do this afternoon. Knock yourself out. So I went home. I went back to the office, brought some jeans, started blasting, blah, blah, blah. And those days, everything was domestic. We did domestic production. And w- there was, we dealt with a laundry called Dentex in pointe aux
0: Everything was done localized. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know, yeah. Amazing. Our jeans were sewn here, washed here. The only thing, we had to bring in the fabrics. Yeah. Uh, to an extent, there was some fabric from Dominion Textiles. Mm-hmm which is another story, <laughs> but it's a good story. So I uh, send these jeans to uh, the laundry, Dentex, and I, says, I call him up. I says, listen, I'm sending you these jeans, five pieces. I says, uh, I need you to stonewash them with X amount of bleach, blah, blah, blah. That's it. And put softener, blah, blah, blah. So next morning, they're ready, and the guy calls me. Hey, Sam, what the fuck did you do to these jeans? They're so beautiful. I'm not going to tell the guy. <laughs> that I invented sandblasting. Yeah. Isn't that, cr- wow. Because if I tell him, he's gonna call his big customer, Levi's, and I'm tell gonna him. be the last guy in line to get my, right. that was something I invented. So I told him, oh, it's a new fabric I brought in from Italy. Already like that, you know? I had to bullshit. <laughs> Why not? So then, I was getting bad service from this guy, even though I was a long time big customer, because he was more friendly with some other people. This is another thing, you know, when your relationships oh, yeah. override you. Yes. <laughs> but relationships with my, they still use, they copy my ideas. Exactly. So I started going there during the night to the laundry because they were like 24 hours, they had three shifts. And I'm uh, making friends with all the uh, immigrants, the uh, Haitians, the Indians, uh, a couple of Italians. So I saw I was in charge in the night shift, this Italian guy and this Pakistani guy, not Pakistani, Indian. Uh, Punjabi Mohan and I was there Friday midnight bringing them coffees I says, uh, what time you guys finish he says uh, around 6 okay I want you to come to my office tomorrow morning right after work I'll be there at 7 we'll have a coffee I want to talk to you so it was Johnny and Mohan I says uh, how long have you been working there what do you do the one guy took care of the recipes the chemicals the other guy took care of the staff the workflow I says, you ever dream of having your own business says, yeah sure so why don't you He says, would you be able to run it? Yeah, of course, so why don't you? We don't have the money. I says, here's a check, let's get into business. He says, if you need my money, I'm I'm a partner. If you don't need my money, I'll give you the business anyway. So they started the royal bleaching. And then I said, you have to do something special for me. We need to get one guy, we're gonna get a sandblast machine, and we gotta put him somewhere where nobody sees him. (laughs) Lock him up. (laughs) Because we don't want nobody to know this formula and we need somebody who's not gonna sell the formula to anybody. So I had a year to myself of sandblasting. Wild. <laughs> and then I did a leather, my first leather jacket, which was copied all over the world. And we did a leather collection. We were doing those days, we used to have a show at Plaza Bonaventure. Okay, like the trade show. Yeah, of. yeah, like what we have in Vegas, Magic. Yeah. So I got these, uh, these friends of mine, these graphic artists, Linda Hackett and Boyer, Linda and Michelle. They helped me make a booth. We did a shoot, biker. I got a Harley Davidson in there. When I made the leather jacket, it was like shh, amazing. But I said, and it was $600 retail, 1989, 88, 89. I said, how many of these are going to sell? I said, I got to do this, the same styles in black. Because I did a leather jacket, dress, a bustier, skirt. I said, I got to do the same thing in black denim. I says, but if I over the denim, because I had a lot of uh, what we call chachkas, metal trims on it, zippers, okay, yep. they're gonna break in the machine or they might break the machine. So I said, I gotta find uh, a black denim, a blue black denim. It didn't exist. So I called Dominion Textiles that we we're working with. They had just bought the American company called Swift. I said, listen, I need you to take the indigo denim, the blue denim, and overdyed black. He said, oh, we can't do that. Says, what do you mean you can't do that? <laughs> you notice they always say they can't yeah. do it, and you're like, I'm not taking that for a, an answer. He says, we don't uh, dye. Uh, I says, but you have two plants. You have one for institutional goods in, uh, I think in Boharnwa, and you have the other, the denim plant in Drummondville. I says, take your denim, drive it to uh, Boharnwa, and overdyed black. <laughs> no, we can't do that. I said, I'll, send, I'll, I'll get a truck and drive it myself. No. So after many uh, dinners and beers with this guy, he uh, brings the chairman to my office. So I'm like freaking out here. I am uh, I think I was 35 that time. Uh, you know, I, I, I just finished high school. These guys are chairman. These <laughs> guys, I got uh, master's degrees, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. blah and they're running a public company. So his name was Malcolm. He says, why do you want to do, uh, you want to, what do you want this black denim for? So I explained to him. Da, da, da. He says to me, okay, I'll do it for you, but you gotta buy 50,000 meters. I says, look, 50,000 meters is quite a bit for me. I says, but uh, how about we make a deal that you give me 10, I'll take the 50,000, but 10,000 per month, not in one shot. He says, yeah, no problem. He says, uh, okay, so we started and I made my collection. We worked like almost 70 hours straight to finish the collection. I went home Sunday morning at 7 a.m. from the office and I got to the show at 9 a.m. And we ended up, because of that lawsuit, you know, and the, the rumor in the city was Parasuko's finished. Or Santana jeans is finished, blah, blah, blah. We ended up winning uh, Best Booth, Best Leather Collection, Easy. and Best Denim Collection, all three. Yep. And that collection carried us for three years. We paid, back the, we paid back the bank in a year. The black denim that they didn't want to do became their number two bestseller. And now I was like the darling of uh, Swift Textiles and Dominion Textiles. It became and, best, another right? thing, <laughs> and another thing we did for the whole world. So they came, the chairman himself with the salespeople and the sales manager and the uh, fabric designer came to visit me to show me the new collection. So now, you know, I was uh, not cocky, but uh, I-, I earned my stripes with them, right? So they're showing me all those pieces of fabrics, they're denims. So I says to the chairman, I says, uh, now we're on name, name to name, first name basis. I says, Malcolm, you're wasting my time. What do you mean? I said, showing me the collection like that. He said, I don't understand. He says, you're showing me raw goods. I'm gonna order uh, 10, 20, 30 meters each to test. I said, by the time you ship it to me, it's going to be two weeks. It's going to take me another three, four weeks to do my tests. By the time I decide we're already into the new season. He says, so what do you want to, what do you want to do? He says, how do you expect, uh, what's the alternative? I said, show me a garment already made, already washed. He says to me, nobody does that. <laughs> I said, so why can't you be the first? So two weeks later, the designer calls me, Tony uh, Carno, which we're still friends. He was, he's in the States. He says, hey, Sal, you know that idea about the washed uh, garments to show the collection? He says, yeah. I, uh, I convinced them to that we, now we like it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. When are you going to be ready? He says, we want you to make the samples. It's okay, no problem. So I made 2,500 2, samples for them. We organized all the washes. But I also made them their own uh, brand, hang tag, everything Swift. Swift textiles, buttons, da-da-da-da. And away we go they uh, quadrupled their sales because of that and now there's no fabric company that doesn't show you full garments the sad part is because we're not american or european we're not written up the same way
0: the stories you've told so far on this podcast do you feel in a way and by the way you've told me some of these before most of them i hadn't heard you kind of feel cheated in a way, right? Because you're telling the story, right? And you're like, well, most of the world doesn't know I was the guy who did this. I was the guy, bare bones at the beginning, trying to convince everybody, no, why not? You get in here, now's the time to do it. You did it. It takes, I'm sure, a lot of satisfaction in saying this, right? And getting it out to anyone to tell the story. But it it is an incredible story and background that most people don't know. Even if you look up Sal Peresucco, and you do a google nowadays right right you don't hear you don't hear these stories no. that's why i love having you on here to talk about these stories because we all know i mean i don't know the background of the jean and denim industry but everything you told me makes sense i know it because at some point everyone owned if not still somewhere in their closet or wearing them today everyone's worn a pair of your jeans
1: yes everybody has a parazooka story everybody. and there's a people that won't get rid of their uh, Parasuka wardrobe that they grew up with because they have so many memories attached to it. Exactly. Because that's, that's one thing I always do is uh, I make, the clothing I make, I want my customers to get compliments. If they don't get compliments, I didn't do my job. You know, we're not thinking about how much money we're going to make. We're thinking about we got to make the best product.
0: And that, that has to be the key to success. Yeah. That these young entrepreneurs today, if you're speaking to the youth of today, this is very important, what Sal is saying. It's not about, say, I think today, nowadays, kids' generation, and not to put them down, because there's a lot of successful people too, but they're worried about you know, what they're gonna get with the money, am I gonna be able to afford this? Am I be, they're not thinking of the, being successful. With success comes the riches of success. That's not the way you conducted yourself, right? Ever, no, you never thought, no. this is what I'm gonna own. You thought about making your business the best in the world, which you did.
1: Yeah, because if uh, you do, you make a great product, people are going to come to you and uh, what's the, uh, how are you going to be evaluated? You're going to be evaluated by how much money you make, by how much profit that brings. Anyway. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's, but if you're thinking first about getting money that you're going to buy a house in Westmount and a Ferrari (laughs) and you haven't shipped your first order. Yeah, you're screwed. Forget it. Yeah. You know but there's another product that we that we came up with like we I said we started Santana in 75 right yeah. so around 76 you know, my partner used to walk around with his uh, jeans with his button open on the waist and that time we used to have a lot of walk-in traffic you know not like now people used to come to the warehouse so I said to him I says wait, why don't you close that button why you walk <laughs> around with your button open all the time I says it's embarrassing he says, "'Cause uh, it hurts when I sit down." He says, and, and he said, I wish they would stretch. Bingo. Bingo, there goes the light bulb. I says, Fuck. this is interesting. Make a gene that stretches. And that day, we happened to receive a fabric from Burlington Mills in the States that was 65 cotton, 35 poly. And because we were a startup, I, was, I learned how to cut. So we, we were doing the cutting. We had our own cutting to save money also because How do you trust the cutters? You know, they tell you, uh, you know your consumption is uh, 1.2 meters and they're telling you it's 1.5 because they're stealing fabric from you. When uh, the fabric, these rolls of fabric came in from the States, from New York, I uh, was pulling and I noticed that diagonally they would stretch. So I got an idea. I cut the jeans in diagonal (laughs) and it worked. They stretched. So I uh, made, uh, I took a shot making uh, 500 pieces and I called Jean Bleu, Alan Burlack. I says, it was, it was a Thursday. I says, Alan, I got a new jean I need you to track for the weekend. Nah, not interested. I don't need anything. I got too much stock. I says, come on, please. If you don't sell them uh, Monday, I'll take them back. So I sent him 50 pieces. That was a Thursday. Monday, he calls me. He says, hey, you know those jeans you sent me? He says, uh, I said what the stretchy one he says yeah what about them?" this is that it didn't work I said okay I'll come pick them up no no I want 500 more <laughs> so we were on to something yeah and we were instrumental in the development of stretch jeans yeah. we were the first to market stretch jeans with our famous parasuco stretch jeans commercial of course I remember that and now today you know this year I regret I think th- I was looking at that and I said Fuck, I fucked up. I says, (laughs) because we had a small budget, like 20 grand, and I called uh, our friend there at CFCF, and we got on TV, right, on CTV. I says, I should have found a way to find 50 grand and put it in New York, on a network in New York instead of Canada, Mm -hmm. because who started copying that stuff? We started in 76. 1988, we did our first show in New York. We were the only ones with stretch, and right away, it got around the show And next thing you know, Guess Jeans is making stretch. Levi's making stretch. Everybody's making stretch. And today, name a jean that doesn't stretch. Unbelievable, Sal Parasuko, once again.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it was you, (laughs) Sal. That takes. That's a testament, honestly, to your also your listening abilities, right? You listen to people. Yes, always. Your eyes are always moving, because this this gentleman didn't have one of his buttons shut. Right. He had it open. That's that idea came from that because you're you're aware of everything around you and especially in your business Which I find not too many people are that aware about things They start with an idea and they can't really I mean the the best of the best. Yes, but that is true entrepreneurship It really (laughs) is and and honestly, it's like some people have we all have a healthy ego, right? We all have an ego, but yours is you listen to the, the person starting off and go, why don't you have a business? Well, here, I'm going to front you the money if you need it. If you don't need it, I'm here for you. The gentleman with wearing his jeans a certain way. This doesn't happen to everybody. It's because you have that ability and skill to listen, to
1: watch. Did you know that there's uh, 19 rap songs with Parasuko in the lyrics?
0: I knew there were a couple. Can we go through the list?
1: <laughs> Do you remember any? Do I have to Google this and look this up? Where's You'd my phone? have to Google it, but uh, As you tell off me. the bat, there's Nelly, his song E.I. That's right, Parasucos. Fendi Capriza and Parasucos. E.I., E.I., oh Because yeah. <laughs> e- e- we were instrumental in uh, the hip-hop market, the beginning of the hip-hop market. Yes. Because a lot of uh, hip-hop brands got inspired by what we were doing. Then there's uh, another, another song with uh, 1212 with uh, the guy from Mutang with Snoop Dogg. Yes. Is, a lot of them uh, are not very famous rappers, but nevertheless. Doesn't matter they're well, there.
0: The first one that comes up, there's a whole bunch of them, but the first one that comes up is uh, Nelly.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the biggest one.
0: Yeah. That's wild. You know, you see uh, John Bon Jovi. Wore parasuco. Uh,
1: yeah, when he, was at, when he was at the inauguration of uh, Obama, the first election, uh, he's he was wearing the Paris- head to toe. We, no, uh, he just did it on his own. Yeah, because that's why. When we had our store on Crescent Street, yeah. you know, people would uh, the race car drivers, the concert guys, yeah. they would all shop at our store.
0: Yeah, I remember watching at the time that music television was huge, and I had several friends working as VJs, especially one of them who's been on this podcast, Rick the Temp. And you, Parasuco was all over much music, right? yeah. And you'd actually see a lot of the artists, like Nick Carter, Backstreet Boys, yes, wearing, yes. all
1: wearing your stuff. Well, we launched Sonia Benezra, launched Backstreet Boys out of our store.
0: That was from your store when it first happened that when they f- hit in
1: 1994. Yeah, when they first hit Canada, yeah, they, yeah. Were, they the got unknowns, they got popular in Canada because then, of uh, <laughs> And uh, we did the same thing with uh, In Sync, yeah. And I even financed their uh, one hour video, their first one hour video. Because they had no money. Incredible. Or they told me they had no money. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or maybe that's, that was the manager, too.
1: Yeah. The, the, yes. He was a big manager at the time. But and even Fantasia in uh, American Idol. Okay. We supported her financially. Amazing. So there's a lot of people that people don't know what we, uh, we've done.
0: Sal, so you have these brick and mortars, uh, actual stores, retail. And then at some point... I'm not sure if it was five years ago, six years ago. You went 2015. 2015, so now it's almost eight years. You went digital. What was the decision? That's what I have a lot of people ask me, and I say, oh, oh, I'll ask Sal, what made you finally decide? Were you worried about the state of retail and where these brick-and-mortar stores were going in general, not only yours, or did you think you could just move it online along with your warehouse that you have here and just keep doing your business because your business still generates huge amount of money,
1: what made you do it? Well, the uh, brick and mortar that we had, the stores that we had, the original concept when we first opened in 1997 was good, was correct. We used to have lineups of people, you know? Yeah. Then what happened is the, the uh, Zara started to come in, the H&Ms, the, uh, and we were still old school where we trained our staff. And all the headhunters knew where to get good staff, Parasuko, you know? So we were losing staff left and right. It's very hard to uh, run the the business, you know? And people say, yeah, but you should pay more. Yeah, but there's a limit. Because what happens is uh, somebody steals your uh, manager and offers them two, three times the salary but they're gonna take them because they need somebody because they're open a store. They keep them for three, six months, then they throw them out because they get uh, another manager at Correct. the right price. Yep. You know, and then the one we trained is too embarrassed to come back to us. <laughs> and the Zara formula, you know, try to get service at Zara, you don't get service. No. You know, you, H and M the same thing. It's like organized warehouse sales, exactly. in and out. Yep. So that's the new formula that came in. We were not prepared for that prepared for that and uh, we didn't have the team and so in 2015 or 2016 I decided we had we were down to uh, uh, seven stores decided to pull the plug but we got bad legal advice they asked us to bankrupt the company the the, the retail company unfortunately it was under the same name it was Parasuka retail okay because there's a competitor who had 38 stores who closed, and you never heard anything about it. You Nobody understand? And he made money. Exactly. I had no debt. I had no debtors. We were the only debtor, except mm-hmm. Hydro Quebec and uh, whatever. Yep. And we even gave uh, packages to our staff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we didn't really have to go bankrupt. But legally, they said that ah, you got to do this, da 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 da, because otherwise they, the whatever. And like I said, I'm a high school dropout, so. <laughs> I'm paying uh, smart people to do, the, to do the smart thing, but sometimes yeah. ain't so smart.
0: Yeah. So now it's strictly, still sold
1: online and everywhere, but... Now it's sold uh, online, yes. We still sell to uh, retailers uh, around here and there. And we also have a, a private label service, you know, which you'll find Santana at Costco for 25 years. Okay. And not only Costco, there's a lot of brands out there that we make, we make the jeans for them. They okay. come to us because we're specialists. So you just do the jeans and? Under ate, their label. Under their so label. We're selling, okay. So that's a part of our business that's been growing is the service part. Now we're launching a new brand. Outer, I'm getting into outerwear and it's a full collection also including jeans and uh, eventually uh, footwear. And we're launching at uh, Pitti Uomo June 13 to 16. In Florence? In Florence, in Italy. And it's a much higher end brand, you know, because the jackets go from uh, let's say twelve hundred to four thousand dollars. Wow,
0: it's under the name Parasuco still. No, S-
1: SP Sal Parasuco. SP Sal Parasuco. Yeah. So we have a, uh, we took a whole pavilion in uh, Pituomo. We have a big video, you know, it's going to be sharp because we got a four four meter by three meter video screen showing our history, our Amazing. videos, and everything we're doing. Uh, artificial intelligence, uh, images, and stuff like that. And then, you know, we, we have a Blade Runner theme. Incredible. So it's gonna be uh, really interesting, you know? And, and that show, it's very expensive, but it attracts people from all over the world, you know? And we're still gotta be careful because half the people who come are people who knock you off. Right, <laughs>
0: they're ready to steal your ideas. So we're gonna okay. be
1: uh, vetting everybody who yeah. comes around. But it's, 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 we've done it bef- many years ago. We used to do, because I had an Italian license, and uh, we did that show. And we used to have, in 2002, we had a rave, and we took over the airport in Florence. We invited uh, 800 buyers from the show. 5,000 people showed up. Italy, there's a thing. <laughs> they, they hear about a party. We were Where on the news, because uh, the, oh, I the traffic this, from yeah. Rome to Florence, yes. from Milan to Florence, the auto route was blocked, and <laughs> so they were saying on TV, they're going to the parasuco party.
0: Wild. Yeah, I remember you telling me, you know when you told me that story? When we were in Florence together. Yeah. We were there for a friend's birthday, and you told me that story.
1: <laughs> and then uh, Roberto Cavalli was at, uh, our, it was like a rave. Yeah. It was, you know, Wild. it was in an in airport hangar. You had we had the, the invitation were uh, boarding passes, and you had to go through security. Yeah, for everything you know, like normal, and then you know the way it works over there. The bus takes you to the plane. So we had like a 727. The front end was into the hangar, and the people would go up the backside and come out into the front end. And all the monitors on the in the plane mm-hmm. were all the parasuco party, and you Wild. come down by the front into the rave that ended up being five thousand people. Yep. And, uh, so Roberto Cavalli is there and he's thanking me for inspiring him. <laughs> and then his manager says, we better get the fuck out of here. We're giving him, we're making him look better than us.
0: Yeah. That was a party that no one will ever forget, right? No, no. Were you dancing there too? With the, or no, you were just observing. Were you on the, yeah, well, to, a rave, We but, had to participate,
1: yeah. <laughs> take pictures with everybody. I'm not used to, uh... Being a celebrity, I'll tell yeah. you one time we uh another story, it's funny. I was in Milan with my uh my licensee guys with the sales manager. Mm-hmm. It was Friday, so he gets a call from uh Sicily. We were sponsoring uh the soccer team, Messina. And that season they happened to be in uh, Serie A the top. They were becoming a contender. Yeah. So the mayor calls him from Messina. Uh, to uh, my guy yeah. and he says how are you uh, Hey, Sonocque, I'm here with uh, mr. Parazuco. mr. Parazuco's is in town <laughs> he says ask him to come if he can come down this weekend Saturday and uh, we're gonna inaugurate the new uh, arena soccer arena on uh, in Messina on uh, Sunday he can inaugurate for us you know okay he Says you want to go I says, yeah okay let's go Sicily is my place right Yeah. so we land in Sicily And there's two Chrysler 300s with flags on them. Pick us up. I have a habit of sitting in the front seat all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So where are you going, sir? (laughs) So the driver says uh, in Italian, he tells me, you don't want to sit in the back. I says, no, I like sitting in the front. You mind? (laughs) He says, okay. And my sales guy, my sales director sitting in the back, the Italian sales director. And uh, we're going, he takes us to Tarmina. well, first to stop off to meet the mayor in Messina, where they start, I said, oh yeah, I, there's all these paparazzis waiting at the uh, hotel where we're going to meet the mayor. And I tell the driver, I says, oh, there must be some celebrity here. I says, what do you think? <laughs> he, says, uh, he says to me, are you joking? I says, wow, what's wrong? It's for you. Amazing. <laughs> I was like oblivious. Yeah, I was going there like to do a favor. Meantime, these guys blew it all up. And uh, they like uh, programmed me tomorrow, you're gonna do this, blah, 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 this time, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we go to the hotel, Gran Temeo, free rooms. I like anything yeah, I that's think free, free is we good. Love, you know? I'm good. with you there, Sal. <laughs> good meals, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next morning we get picked up, the same driver, but we got four police escorts, motorcycles. I said, so I told my uh, sales director, I said, fuck, this is very serious. <laughs> so then I'm introduced to the owner of uh, the team who also owns the hotels and he also owns the ferry boats that come from Calabria to uh, Sicily. Mm-hmm. And he's younger than me. I said, fuck, I'm doing something wrong. Amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a PhD. You yeah. know what's a PhD? Papa had dough. Yeah, exactly. Not the actual certificate. <laughs> so we we inaugurate this uh, beautiful uh, soccer field which is basically carved out of a cliff on a platform overlooking the sea so so he uh, the microphone comes and he starts telling people mr. Parasuko flew in this morning in his private jet so my father's getting calls in Canada from our relatives there's is you didn't tell us you have a private Private jet jet. (laughs) (laughs) so he calls me (laughs) What are you telling people there? You're gonna make us nuts. <laughs> Too funny. So we have all these uh, cute stories. It's a uh, life is not boring. No, you have a million stories, and I've heard.
0: Yeah. Not as not as many as I've heard so far today, but I've heard quite a you few. You
1: know, my uh, my uh, favorite uh, hero, as far as uh, actor movie star, was Mickey Rourke. Okay, classic. So in uh, 1992, by accident, I, I had an agent in uh, a. a a modeling agent or photographer agent in uh, new york was a frenchman jean gabriel and i was in his office because we're looking working on a new shoot and i'm uh, looking uh, for models and photographers who do you got what's going on and he's presenting me this that and i see a book there and it's kary and i'm looking through these pictures i says who we'll shot this so i see micky rourke c'est, uh, avec son, sa copine. I says uh oh yeah i heard he's uh he, he likes he's got a sideline of uh you know a hobby a photography i says it's pretty good i said you think we could hire him <laughs> she says uh yeah why not we could try so he called him up and we hooked up and then uh, you know i'm back in montreal Mickey make work calls my amazing those times we had receptionists uh, with paging yeah Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Mickey Rourke is on the line. So I'm freaking out. This is an idol. My yeah. idol. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on the phone with Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Oh my God. Amazing. How do you keep cool? And then uh, finally we hooked up in L.A. and we uh, did the shoot and not easy to work with though. You know? These artists. No. And I have, I had, you know, and I learned a lot with uh, him. Uh, So he says, uh, you know, we we go on the the second day on the shoot, he says, I don't like it here. We're gonna go to uh, my friend's house in Beverly Hills. So we go to his friend's house in Beverly Hills, follow him around. And me, I'm counting, budget, you know? Time, this, that, how many pictures (laughs) we're gonna get. So we go to this guy's house, he comes out in his robe, and it was a little bit of a cool day. We were gonna do a shoot in the swimming pool. And he introduces me the guy, he says, uh, this is Sal Parasuco, Robert Evans. I don't know Robert Evans, but you know who's Robert Evans, right? Wait, so Robert <laughs> Evans says, any friend of Mickey's a friend of mine. Anything you need, let me know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, very handsome guy, very well-spoken. So he tells this girl, his assistant, show Sal the studio. So she takes me to the studio, and I see all these, uh, you know, these Hollywood posters, uh, James Dean, uh, Bullet, Steve McQueen, The Godfather. The night before, I was walking Sunset Strip, and I saw this store, it was shop that was closed, they sold these posters, and I said, hey, I'm going to buy some for our office. So I tell the girl, where did you buy these posters? Did you buy these on Sunset? I said, I want to get some the same for my office. <laughs> he says, uh, Mr. Parasucco, you know who, whose uh, house you're in? I say, yeah, I says uh, Mickey's friend, uh, Robert. He says, you know who Robert Evans is? I says, he's Mickey's friend. He produced these movies. I says, what are you talking about? He says, he was married to Ali McGraw. He produced The Godfather. Blah blah blah. I said, holy shit!
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: <laughs> and I didn't work that. I could today. I think about the fact I, I could have been his friend. I could have worked that. Like we would have blown up the business. Yeah. We would have been uh, whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, the next day he says, uh, Mickey says, uh, we need to shoot some pictures by the ocean. Let's go to Malibu, we're gonna go to Chad's house. Okay, so Chadou? follow. <laughs> so we follow, it's a two hour drive, whatever, we get there. Beautiful house overlooking uh, on the cliff there. And as I walk in, I see, you know, you have picture frames on your wall. Mm-hmm. This guy's got motorcycles on the wall. <laughs> and I see my, did my table, my dining room table, the same from that idea, I, a big glass top, sitting on two motorcycles. So I got my, mine as a glass top sitting on two, two uh, cameras. So I'm looking around. So he introduces me to this guy, Chad. I says, hey, uh, you're really into Steve McQueen, you. <laughs> He's same thing. He says, yeah. you're being funny. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm being funny. <laughs> I said, sorry if I insult you. You know, uh, I'm from Montreal. He says, yeah. Montreal, I raced in Tremblant, most you know, uh, Montreal. I says, wait a minute. This is, you race, you're a racer, you're Chad McQueen. You're Steve McQueen's son. He says, yeah, wild. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm really I'm innocent. I don't exactly. know. Yeah, exactly. It's wild. So we had uh, we had a lot of uh, fun like that. And and what's interesting is uh, these guys would also feed off of me, you know, because I would give them ideas. Yeah. Sometimes you uh, it's the last three percent you put in that changes everything around. Mm-hmm. So
0: there's no stopping you either. You know, most people your age, seven years old, they think about retiring golfing going somewhere you know not going to florence to work to try something else to launch something else there's no stopping you no i I feel like you're just gonna you're you're just gonna keep doing this because it's in you and it's fun it's fun yeah what you do is exciting
1: it is uh sometimes uh it's always stressful yeah sometimes it's very stressful but you know i tell people stress means you're alive exactly and you got to know how to use it, and it, uh, you you could turn it around to inspire you instead of uh, getting in a corner and crying about it. That's the key, right yeah. there. Yeah, and most people get in a corner and crying about it, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, you know I look at today's kids. You know, let's go back, maybe you know I don't want to sound bad, but even maybe twenty five years ago, we used to re- we we're always recruiting people. So I, I would say to the HRs, this person's not for us. Say why not she they were raised by uh, daycare yeah. <laughs> you could feel they're missing, feel,
0: yeah, something's not there. they're
1: missing the love of the grandparents, the mm-hmm. parents that's why uh, you know uh, you take uh, China, India, Pakistan, these other countries, Vietnam, the grandparents are taking care of the grandkids yep. you know, and uh, the middle generation is is working because think about it you uh A kid goes to daycare. The kid, two years old, three years old, gets attached to the counselor, the teacher, whatever you want to call her, and that person decides to quit after six months. It's traumatic for the kid. Absolutely. They got attached. Mm -hmm. Now that you bring in a new person, it takes time to trust that person. And now they get, when it happens two times, three times, you start to lose uh, something that you can't trust. Yep. You can't trust people because they say they love you, but they're not there after. Absolutely. Whereas your parents are always supposed always to be there. there.
0: Or your grandparents. But because
1: of our uh, the high taxes, both parents have to work. They don't have time for their kids. Exactly. <laughs> but you got to, once you decide to have a kid, you got to take care of the kid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can't just put them in front of TV with uh, video games and uh, a TV dinner or whatever, or a hamburger, and that's it. Or an
0: iPad or technology. but that's You got
1: to what... take them to picture yeah. and all that stuff. Exactly,
0: <laughs> And that's why today's generation, I'm glad you said that, Needs to see that that what you just said as an entrepreneur and somebody who's creator and you've done everything that you've done. We heard up so many stories here on the podcast today. That's what they need to take from this today and and know that it's important to raise children or to have. Like I remember, my it really
1: takes a village to raise a kid. It does. It does. It does does take a village, and I see the difference because you know uh, recently I celebrated my birthday in my hometown. I Mm -hmm. had 120 relatives there. Wow! If you see the kids. Three years old, four years old, six years old, ten years old, fifteen years old. The respect they have for their elders, and uh, between each other, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable.
0: (laughs) Exactly, because sometimes there's the fear of God, right? There is. There is. Nowadays, a lot. There's no fear,
1: right? It's uh, there is. There is the fear of God, but not to the level that we were grew up. No, 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 no. no. Which was
0: not necessarily (laughs) right either. But it did make. But it didn't kill us. No, it didn't kill us. And it made men, men, and women, women, yeah. and stronger. And, you know, there's a term nowadays, snowflake, right? This is snowflake generation society. It's not, it's not to put down people from this generation. You know, the going gets tough. When, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? It's like, you need to be yeah, strong. Uh, you need to have a backbone. You need to take criticism. Nowadays, half the stuff you said today, people would just fold in a corner like a deck of cards. You know? Nobody
1: like the, owes you a future. No you have to make your future absolutely and the more politicians tells you they're going to give you a future it's a crock of shit because that politician's only there for four years
0: and then he's gone
1: then he's gone gone. and everything changes again so if you don't take care of learn to take care of yourself first how can you take care of anybody else yeah and that's important you know sal i
0: want to talk about this because this was a some would say divine intervention life-changing moment When I first heard the story, I (laughs) heard it from our uh, mutual friends. Then you told me the story. I'm not sure if you've ever talked about it publicly. Yeah, yeah.
1: You have? Not publicly, not really. No, no. not not, not publicly. Not like this. It'll be a
0: first year on the drive-by. Something happened to you. A big event in life happened to you and changed. I'm sure changed the way you look at life. (laughs) Can you share that story?
1: My favorite number, my lucky number is eight because I believe in Feng Shui since I've been working with China for so many years. Okay. Even our, when I built our, uh, we built our uh, head office in uh, 1996, I uh, called my, my first agent uh, from Hong Kong. There was living in uh, Toronto, Kevin, and he says, hey, I heard you're building a head office. Yeah, yeah, what's the address? I said, I think I, it was 102. Uh, he says, what was the old address where you were in Chabanel? I says, 125. He says, are you crazy? You can't go down. You have to go up. (laughs) I says, what do you mean? It's bad feng shui to to go down. You have to go up. Mm -hmm. So I called the city and luckily we had like uh, our zoning. We had three addresses and one of the addresses was 128. So I called Kevin. I says, look, I got this address and I have 128. Yeah, that's the best. Take it. (laughs) He He says, you know what 128 means? He says, on the way to success. On the way to Prosperity. Mm -hmm. And also, Parasuko has eight letters. So, I had my uh, 2015 458 Ferrari, and the 488s were coming out. So, I scheduled in 2018, I would get the 488, all eights.
0: Mm -hmm. That's the one you came here no 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 sorry this is the this is F8 oh this is the F8 sorry I didn't quite look I was looking at you when you came out of it I caught a glimpse of it of course but we're so, gonna go out and see it later May
1: nine, I pick up my uh, 488 2015 mm-hmm. May 9 2015 so it's almost
0: to the date very close. Yeah.
1: no 2018 oh 2018, 2018. okay so it's, five years ago 2015 was the other car the 458 okay yeah. yeah. so I pick up uh, the car and uh, Two days later, Friday was May 11th, I'm going home uh, on Queen Mary crossing the carry, and my light is uh, red, and you know, it's May, May 11th, there's still a lot of potholes and everything, and that intersection is a, is a bad intersection, a lot of people yeah. run the light. So, my, my light going east turned green, but I wait three, four seconds to make sure the cars on the carry have stopped. Mm-hmm. There was two cars that were stopped. The third lane, I guess, was uh, empty. So I start moving. I start going forward, it's slow because there's uh, a lot of potholes, and it's a brand new car. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I feel this uh, white thing coming from the passenger side, because and le- and, uh, luckily there was no passenger. And next thing I remember, I lift my head, and I'm facing, I'm in the middle of the boulevard between two lampposts and uh, facing west. And I said, what the fuck is going on? And only today I realized I passed out.
0: It sideswiped you?
1: Yeah. It t-boned me. Like full impact at uh, 70 kilometers an hour. Totaled the car, the other guy's car was, so, so I looked up and I said, what happened? Why am I facing the wrong way? And I'm looking to my left and I see there's a car that's all smashed, wha- smashed up and my brain is saying, fuck, I must've got in an accident. I must've got hit. And uh, I was feeling uh, screwed up, you know, because of the seatbelt and uh, I think I got knocked out by the airbag Mm -hmm. today I realized I got I must have got knocked out because I didn't know where I was Mm -hmm. you know maybe for a few seconds so I got out of the car and yeah and one thing we have in this city first responders man they were there right away so I remember this uh, guy coming up to the car because my I had the convertible so the the top was down hey man are you okay I says "I, I think so I says what happened he says, that guy hit you, man. You're so lucky. Well, what is this car? I got to get a car like this. <laughs> if it wasn't that a car, you wouldn't be alive. I says, he says, you know what happened? He says, what? He says, your car went up in the air and did a 180. That's how I landed in the middle of the boulevard. You flew. Yeah. I says, seriously? He says, yeah. There are all these people coming around. He says, you, you sure you're okay? Yeah, yeah. I got up. I was a little bit uh, dizzy. And the ambulance guy was there right away. Firemen, police. So I get in the ambulance to uh, the guy checks me out and he says, how's your neck? How's this? How's that? Blood pressure, ba-boom, ba bim, ba-boom. Ba-ba. Everything is, you look okay. I says, but uh, you should go to the hospital, to get uh, checked for internal bleeding. And all I was thinking is we had a six, six o'clock uh, dinner date. Mm-hmm. So I call my wife. I says, look, I'm in a, there was an accident. I got hit, but I'm okay. Come pick me up. I'm at the corner at uh, Queen Mary and the Carrie. So she comes. And this ambulance guy, French kid, local guy, Quebecois, spoke better Italian than me. Wow. (laughs) I says, where would you learn to speak Italian? He says, I went to Perugia. I I studied there for two years. (laughs) Wow. So he tells my wife, he says, Mr. Paris, look, I've seen a lot of accidents like this. People walk away. And the next morning, they don't wake up. He says, I suggest you go and get checked. I says, I don't want to wait an emergency on a Friday night. I said, okay, if you take me by ambulance, he says, yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> I said, right okay, take me to the Jewish. Yeah. He says, no, I got to take you to the general. I said, no, come on, take me to the Jewish because I got my files there. That's mm-hmm. my, my doctor's there. So finally, he gets the permission to take me there. You know, he's got to call in. And he takes me there. I says with the ambulance, maybe I don't have to wait, you know. So they go to triage. They see me standing up. As you look okay, you're going to have to wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so much for that.
1: So I uh, sit down, but they happen to call me in five minutes. So I go, for, go in for, uh, they start checking my eyes, this, that, move your head, blah, 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 lie down, they do an ultrasound. He says, well, we don't see any internal bleeding, but uh, you know you have a tumor on your uh, right kidney. I said, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, you have a, you have a mass about six centimeters. I impossible, I just got a checkup two weeks ago, I was clean. Oh, so from there, I call my doctor and I say, uh, Ruben, uh, I'm at this and this. I got an accident. I'm at the hospital. They said, I got a, I may have cancer. I got a tumor. He says, oh, don't get excited. You know, sometimes the machinery at the emergency is not that good. to so set you up with uh, a proper scan at uh, Monday. So uh, go, get the scan. Yeah. And it ends up being cancer. <laughs> uh. So I was lucky because uh, I was thinking, I says, why did this happen? I have all eights and this... I shouldn't have got hit. Why did I get this accident? That's why it happened. Yeah. And then uh, I had to wait four months. It got operated. Luckily, we got it early that I had no, uh, no chemo, no nothing. And my tumor was on top of the uh, kidney, so I managed to save 80% of the kidney.
0: And here you are today.
1: And then, you know what? The daisies, everything looks like miracles. Yeah. Every day is different now. Every day looks important everything you see absolutely
0: that event must you must that must you must think about that at least once a day you know
1: doesn't that yeah yeah and for four months the only people who knew was my uh cfo my brother and my uh wife and kids nobody else because you know you don't want everybody calling you say how are you how you feel how you feel but after the surgery i text everybody everybody was freaking out yeah and even me, for four months waiting for the surgery, it was like how bad it is, how good it is, we you don't, don't know. know. But thank God it uh, worked out okay.
0: That's the best story. They were all amazing yeah. stories you told today. That is the best uh, story because of its outcome and how it, you found out it saved your life.
1: That's why we say you need a bit of luck. And I think the harder you work, the more luck you find. Or luck, actually, luck find, Luck finds you. You know, Another expression I heard is, you know, you say... Uh, looking for the right opportunity mm-hmm. it 's not true. the right opportunity finds the opportunity finds the right person correct because ten people will see the uh, won 't see the opportunity, but one person will
0: yeah Sal first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to come here, driving here, and being on my podcast, the drive by. you also brought myself and my wife a couple of this is the
1: newest thing you're doing? No, this is uh, special. This is our birthday one. This is it's a special uh, exclusive.
0: Who's on the, uh, I can't really see. Who's that? It's me. That's you? Hang on a second. He's saying, Frank, what do you mean? You that's my... Uh, you? That is you. Now I see it. <laughs> I can only see it from the top. To that's my
1: picture from Womo Vogue in 2009. You know, I was the only Canadian on uh, Womo Vogue.
0: There it is.
1: Look at the back. Salve. Capizzi Sicily. Look at that beautiful
0: and here's the quote in the front the quote is your life inspires my life
1: yes it does there's inspiration everywhere thanks Sal you just gotta look
0: I really appreciate you being on the drive by you're invited anytime for even more stories you're a great storyteller and I wish you the best of luck please say hi to your wife Rosie your daughter as well and continued success my friend
1: thank you it's nice to be important but more important to be nice absolutely (laughs) thanks Sal Thanks. The Drive-By with Freeway Frank.
0: The Drive-By Podcast is brought to you by OwnSpace. OwnSpace.